Hi, and welcome to another edition of Manifesting Melchizedek. We now join Pastor David Vaught teaching at Abundant Life Ministries in Bella Vista, Arkansas. This is part five of a study that we named Partakers of the Divine Nature. As usual, we will begin with a quick review, starting with our key scripture for the study. This is found in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. I'm going to read it from the New King James Version. Scripture says, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him, who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, in our last lesson, he taught us about the circular nature of the process through which he is leading us. And he showed us how each of the three aspects of his nature, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are taking us into the destination of sharing his divine nature. So for we Christians, our origin and our destination are known to us. And our origin and destination are assured because of these greatest and most precious promises that he gave to us. Promises that we should become partakers, which means sharers in the divine nature of God Almighty himself. We also looked briefly last time at some of the attributes of our Father God in his omnipotent power and his omniscient knowledge and his omnipresent and omnitemporal existence across the entire universe of space and time. And we even glanced briefly at his existence apart from natural space and time, in the realm of only the Spirit, although I know that's kind of hard to comprehend. He, you see, as Spirit, exists in and beyond all physical boundaries and natural limitations. And as the omnipotent Spirit, He rules all things spiritual as well. In other words, having made all temporal things from Himself, He exists within them, and they exist within him. And being who he is as spirit, he also rules high above everything spiritual as well. This supreme power, supreme knowledge, supreme presence, supreme existence has been promised to us as partakers of the divine nature in Christ. And he placed this power to rule all in Christ, as we see in these verses in Ephesians chapter 1. This is Ephesians 1, verses 20 and 21, again from the New King James Version. Verse 20 says, He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So at his right hand, you see, is the place of power. The power at our Father's right hand where Christ is seated. That power is above all other power and higher than any other name or nature, as name means. 
not only in this age, but in the next age as well. You see, another age is coming in which Christ rules through his manifested body of sons. And the Spirit continues in the next two verses to describe how this power extends to us as sharers in his divine nature. This is verses 22 and 23 of Ephesians chapter 1. And he put all things under his feet. Well, the feet are part of the body, right? He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. These verses extend the power found at the right hand of the Father, where all is placed under his feet, which is a part of the body, as I said, to the church. You see, the Father gave him to the church as the head over everything. And because the church, the ecclesia, as it says, is his body, then all is placed under the church as well. Now, this may be difficult to understand in the King James Version. I like the way this is rendered in the concordant literal version. These are the same verses from the concordant literal, where it says, And he subjects all under his feet, and gives him as head over all to the ecclesia, which is his body, the complement of the one completing the all in all. The Father subjects all under him and gives him as the head above all to the church, his body. Now look at the definition of the church in the last phrase. The complement of the one, completing the all in all. Here's the same definitive verse, 23, from the Amplified Bible to the church. It says in verse 23, This is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. For in that body lives the full measure of him who makes everything complete and who fills everything everywhere with himself. You see, these greatest and most precious promises describe what it means to share in the divine nature with us, the body, the ecclesia, which is destined to complete everything by filling everything everywhere with himself. And the process by which he accomplishes this, again, is through his body, through the ecclesia, the church. And so he is teaching us the steps that he is taking to fulfill in us these greatest and most precious promises. He is teaching us about the process. He is using this process to bring about his plan and purpose in creation. Now, he also showed us that Jesus Christ, our Lord, is the example of what it means to be a sharer of the divine nature. And we've been finding these greatest and most precious promises scattered throughout Scripture. In many cases, we find these promises hidden in verses that we've read all of our lives without seeing them as our Father's most precious promises concerning our destined nature in Him. So today we're going to take a deeper look at these greatest promises and what he has destined us to share with him. So we know that our key scripture tells us that he has given us his most precious promises and that the result of these promises is our partaking or sharing in the divine nature. 
Now, as mentioned previously, Jesus our Lord is the example given to us. He embodies the fulfillment of the promises which exhibit the divine nature. The Apostle Paul wrote about this manifestation of the promises of God within Christ in his second letter to the Corinthians. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. I'm going to read from the Amplified Bible. It says, For as many as are the promises of God, and they are many, they all find their yes, their answer in him, Christ. For this reason we also utter the amen, so be it, to God through him in his person and by his agency, to the glory of God. All the promises of God, it says, find their yes answer in Christ. This includes every promise of God, including the greatest promises of sharing in the divine nature. God makes promises throughout Scripture. He made promises to Adam. He made promises to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, to David, to the children of Israel, and so on. But he calls some of these promises better promises because they pointed to him joining with his people to make them something new. These greatest and most precious promises are also what he called the better promises in Scripture. And even though God made promises to people throughout Scripture, there is one promise mentioned in Scripture that God made before he created anything. The Holy Spirit wrote through Paul about this promise that predates everything, including all the other promises he made. This is from Titus chapter 1 from the Amplified Version again. It says, Resting in the hope of eternal life, life which the ever-truthful God, who cannot deceive, promised before the world or the ages of time began. You see, the promise made before the world or the ages of time began was that of eternal life. Eternal life is an attribute of the divine nature. Divine nature includes divine life. And that life was promised and began before the ages of time and extends through all the ages of time. And it is because of his life. It is his life. And because of that, it continues even when the ages of time cease to exist. Who did he promise it to before the world or the ages of time began? Who else was there? Who was with God before time? Only himself, and we in him. Remember that he chose us in himself before the foundation of the world. We can read that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. This is Ephesians chapter 1, 4 and 5. It says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that word world there in the Greek is cosmos, which means the orderly arrangement of everything. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. This is an aspect of the greatest promises, the better promises, the most precious promises of God. And he made these promises to himself. 
and to us in him before the foundation of the ages. You see, the Elohim promised the Elohim. That's the plural word for God. John wrote about this promise also in his first letter to the church. This is 1 John chapter 2, verse 25 from the New King James. He says, And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. This is the promise, eternal life. But the achievement of eternal life in this world is a manifestation of God. Just as Jesus manifested the Father in this world, any man obtaining eternal life before passing through the veil of death manifests the life of God to creation. And manifesting that life of God requires a changed body and of necessity a changed mind. Recall that we have learned that the transformation begins in the mind and the results are seen in the body. Now, someone with the mind of Christ, which we have, thinks the thoughts of God. Manifesting the life of God requires a person who has the thoughts and intents of God, rather than the old sinful mankind. And the better promises include having his thoughts, his mind, and his intentions. Let's read about the better promises in Hebrews chapter 8. This is Hebrews 8, I'm going to read verse 6, and then 10 through 11. This is from the Lexham English Bible translation. Verse 6 says, But now he, that is Jesus, has attained a more excellent ministry, by as much as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which has been exacted upon better promises. The covenant with Moses contained many promises, including promises of destruction if the people failed to follow the law. But the better promises describe a time when the law of God becomes innate in the people's hearts and minds. Let's see how the Spirit relates the better promises previously decreed by the prophet Jeremiah. This is just three verses later in verse 10. He says, I'm putting my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not teach each one his fellow citizen and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. You see, the better promises describe a people that have been changed. They have been changed to know the Lord. Their minds have been changed to know God's laws. Their hearts have been changed to do God's laws. And they have become the people of God, and they know him because they have become like him. They are the better promises. These are the better promises found in Scripture. The promises of eternal life and knowing God. These are the promises that describe the divine nature, and we share in these promises with our Lord Jesus Christ. We are joint heirs with Christ in these promises and in their outcome. Remember what the Spirit wrote in Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. It says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children then heirs, heirs of God 
and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. What is an heir? What is an heir to the throne? Well, someone who receives the throne. What is an heir to a fortune? Someone who gets the fortune. So what is the heir to all things? Someone who gets it all. Now notice we suffer with him as joint heirs in this life. We suffered his death on the cross and suffered his burial and resurrection in baptism. We suffer daily when we see the pain, the sin, and the suffering in the world. And we suffer the ridicule of the ungodly as they preach and mandate their vitriol and hate. But the suffering of this age is nothing compared to the glory, it says, which will be revealed in us. The Spirit continues in verse 18. Verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Now we also share in his sufferings when we witness to others and talk about his death on the cross, and when we remember his suffering on our behalf in our own minds and bodies. Peter also equated the suffering of Christ with the glory to be revealed in us. This is from Peter's first letter speaking about his personal experience. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 says, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Peter describes himself as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He was there. Now, we know that he personally witnessed the sufferings of Jesus. But his statement here also denotes the ongoing experience of suffering as a Christian and an elder in the church. And again, the suffering is related to being a partaker of glory, which has not yet been revealed or manifested. When I consider the words of Peter and Paul in these verses, it makes me think about my own feelings about Jesus' suffering. I suffer mental anguish when I think about what he suffered for the world, and the world at large doesn't even know nor seem to care. I suffer spiritual anguish when I see the sin and blasphemy that continues to run rampant in the streets of the world. You know, it manifests as anger or sadness. It hurts my soul when I think of the millions of babies being slaughtered by abortion in this and almost every other country in the world. And it makes me want to cry in revolt when I see what the, you know, the liberal people in, in the office now are doing to this country that I love and swore to protect. But is that the kind of suffering Paul and Peter are discussing? Mental anguish? Sadness? Is that the suffering of Christ or just my own moral outrage? Should we be feeling physical pain and suffering because of his death, or should we be feeling the elation of his endless life surging through us? What other suffering might we endure because of our growing relationship with him? What do you think about suffering with Christ, as Paul and Peter describe it here? You see, I believe the Holy Spirit has given us some things to think about with the Apostle's comments about sharing in his suffering. Let's spend some time between now and the next lesson thinking about what Paul meant when he said he wants us to know the fellowship of his suffering. 
You know, we've often looked at these verses in Philippians chapter 3. This is Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11. Paul says, That I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You see, that's the resurrection we've been discussing. This is the fulfillment of his most precious promises. Experiencing this resurrection manifests the greatest promise of our Father in this age. This fulfills the promises made before the world or ages of time were created. This resurrection denotes the fulfillment of our Father's beautiful plan for His sons. And we must come to terms with our understanding about the fellowship of His suffering and being made conformable to His death. Well, those are some heavy things to think about this week. But let's get together again and discuss them in our next lesson. Thanks. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about our church or Abundant Life Ministries, or if you have any questions about today's message, please email us at abundant underscore life at att.net. Again, that's abundant underscore life at att.net. Until next time, we pray grace and peace for you in all things in Christ Jesus. Goodbye. Goodbye.